0: Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe.
1: And I'm Brenna.
0: And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe, on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805.
1: And on the Tukumloops-Teswetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Swetmikulu, and today's text, Fire Song, is set in an Anishinaabe community in the territory now known as Northern Ontario, and was filmed on the Wabagoon Lake Ojibwe Nation and Fort William First Nation.
0: hmm This is properly Indigenous through and through.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's also kind of a first for us, Joe, because the film made by Adam Garnett Jones in 2015 came first and the book is a novelization of the existing film. We've never done a novelization before.
0: This is true. Yeah. Uh, I know when you were talking about it with me, you said, hey, it looks like the film was made before the book. And I thought, oh, I think I even mentioned it on the episode when we first introduced that we were going to do this. I said, oh, I think it's just because the film took a long time to put together. No, it's absolutely a novelization, folks.
1: <laughs> and it does really read like one and i don't really mean that in a dismissive way but joe and i were talking before we started recording that's like we're not going to be able to have the same sort of adaptation conversation today that we Mm -hmm. usually have where we discuss different choices that are made a because both texts are created by the same person from the same source material and b because novelizations are not really adaptations they're more like narrativizations right and so yeah there's a couple of things that i want to talk about particularly the way the main character's sexuality is read on film versus in the book but we're going to kind of talk about them all together rather than our usual like break so joe Mm -hmm. does that mean you want to start with the trailer i
2: do yes Okay.
1: it's
2: been about
0: six weeks since she uh, took her life how did we not know how sad she was i feel like i should have seen something it's not your fault. You know, it might actually help if you talk about destiny. Yeah, I could tell everyone how I was with my boyfriend when I should have been watching my sister.
1: I was hoping he would get old enough to get out of here before people found out, you know, how people can be.
0: Well, me and Shane aren't your tight
2: medicine, man? No, come on, seriously, you're hurting my feelings now.
0: We need to get out of here. I just want to go where I can be with you, you know? You've been seeing him a lot lately. Too much male energy is no good. I was thinking about coming to Toronto with you. Really? I'm not really honouring my teachings if I can't even be open to who I am here.
2: Don't look at me like that. Someone's going to (laughs) see Maybe you should be thinking of taking care of your mom instead of trying to run off. Shane's gone and the police came by.
0: David's gone too. gonna know it doesn't matter Sit. it's just you and me okay so as you queued, the film was made in 2015 and it is written directed by adam garnett jones it stars andrew martin as shane jennifer podemski as his mother jackie harley lagarde as david shane's love interest Mary Galloway as Tara, Shane's other love interest. Mm -hmm. Brent Thomas Diablo as Kyle, the kind of nemesis antagonist of the film. Mani Chakabi as Evie.
1: I was actually super excited to see Jennifer Podemski is in this. She's a favorite actress of mine. I love everything she does. And she brings a real, um, like very persuasive world weariness to Jackie's character. I was really glad to see her in the role, because she has a certain amount of gravitas and and everybody else, for the most part, there's a lot of newcomers here. Um, And I think she's a real anchoring force in in the film, for sure.
0: I agree. So I was telling you offline that this is the second time I've seen this film in a year. So I actually had the opportunity to watch this at a special screening that Adam Garnet Jones introduced and then did a Q&A afterwards. Oh, cool. Although I'll confess I, I don't remember a ton of details because um, it was right before the pandemic. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that was one of the big things that he said. So Garnet Jones, who is Indigenous, wanted to cast authentic people from the community that he was depicting, even though this is a fictionalized indigenous area it's based Mm -hmm. on real places as a result he ended up with a lot of amateur or kind of like people who were literally living in and around the region that they were filming in and then we've got Podemski as as you said the anchor so unfortunately I think at times it means that what we see is a person who is a proper actor who can Mm -hmm. convey emotion and Imbues the character with more depth, maybe than some of the other people have the ability to. So, a lot of the scenes with Jackie land better as a result. But it also kind of makes the other parts of the film not work as well for me.
1: Mm, there's an unevenness um, yeah. that is sort of connected to her strength, which is it's unfortunate, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I really think that there is an authenticity in the way the characters move through space that I found persuasive and the visuals of the film are really quite phenomenal mm-hmm. but it, it's an uneven picture like you can really get a sense of what the goal is of the film and it's not mm-hmm. always kind of hitting those marks I don't think yeah. um, but I guess we should probably say what it's all about right
0: <laughs> yes and I guess we should probably also acknowledge I did oh, do yeah. this when we were introducing it last week but content warning for abuse, for neglect, for suicide, depression, uh, sexual assault. Honestly, this is a little bit of indigenous trauma porn. And Mm. if it had been made by someone outside of the community, I would probably be coming down really hard on it. Mm. But it's a bit of a rough one. I'll say that.
1: Yeah, I will say that content warning for suicide in particular, you said that last week. And, and as I was watching the film, I was like, oh, okay, so the context of the film is really around suicide, like, and I kind of like eased into it. And then
0: yeah, and then you get to the second suicide.
1: Yeah, on screen. And it's pretty, um, graphic isn't the right word, but it's, it's very, it's hyper realistic. And it's upsetting. It's just genuinely very upsetting. Mm -hmm. So the plot is, uh, well, our main character is Shane. Here's my first point of contention, Joe, right off the bat before I even get through the plot. So, I've seen a bunch of press that frame Shane as bisexual, and I think if you've only seen the film, that is a way you could read him. Okay. But in the book...
0: He's very clearly
1: gay. Yes. In the book, it's very clear that his relationship with Tara, it causes him a tremendous amount of stress, that Mm -hmm. he's not sexually attracted to Tara. Correct. Gardner Jones is pretty clear (laughs) in his depictions of like their makeup scenes and stuff that this is not what he's into. Mm -hmm. Whereas I could see how if you had only watched the film, um, and particularly maybe if you're not queer, if you're straight, I could see how you might be like, oh, yeah, he's got a boyfriend and a girlfriend, like he's bisexual. Yeah. But really he's he's actually quite tortured by yeah. um, this feeling that he should be straight, he should be with Tara, he should present as straight to the community, mm-hmm. when really he's in love with David. Yes. And David is also torn because he's gay and he feels very strongly for Shane but he really desperately wants to be a spiritual leader in his community and he feels like that's not possible if people find out he's gay. And so the two boys are both kind of pushed and pulled in separate directions for different reasons but ultimately with very much the same kind of tension at the core of who they are. Absolutely. And the framing narrative is that Shane's sister has just died by suicide and he's supposed to be leaving to go to university, but money is very tight. He has an inheritance from the death of his father that he is expecting to be able to use for university, but his roof is caving in, his Mm -hmm. mom is not capable of working, she's completely lost to the grief of losing destiny. And so Shane is trapped in many ways.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And he lives in these kind of fantasies that are almost like to make other people feel good like he's got this story going with tara that they're gonna go to toronto together but really he really wants to go to toronto with david Mm -hmm. and there's no sense of where that money's going to come from Mm
2: -mm. he's
1: been refused the band funding to go to university because it's a perfect sort of example of the way folks fall through the cracks um, in these kinds of institutionalized programs because he's registered with the wrong community. He's registered in his father's community because his father has died and he lives in his mother's community. He's not eligible for funding. So there's all these ways in which like these systems that are supposed to protect him are letting him down. And really the, the movie and the book are about navigating that, right? Navigating these failed systems and Evie loves her grandson. She can't cope with the idea that he would be gay. Mm -hmm. And so it's like all of these tensions between sort of traditional ways of knowing and moving through the world and more Western or Christian assertions. And those tensions are throughout the community as some people use traditional spirituality and some people have been kind of colonized by these Christian beliefs. And it's like everyone in in the book, everyone in the film is working through this like existential tension. And it's almost like there's just no possible resolution (laughs) for all of these issues, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that make, I find particularly the film challenging to watch because it's one of those narratives where it feels like there's no escape. Like you're watching Mm. characters be slowly crushed in a vice from which they're trying to get out, but there is Mm -hmm. no escape because Mm -hmm. every opportunity ends up getting swallowed up by something else. And you just don't see a way out. So it's very dark and very grim. And yet, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, you know, this is the most depressing watch you'll ever see. Because it's not. There are a lot of moments of levity and light. Mm -hmm. Not a ton of humor, admittedly. It's just, it's really hard to watch, particularly from the perspective of a YA text Mm -hmm. because really Shane and to a lesser extent David have so little control over their own narratives right like they're battling institutions and traditions that are almost manufactured to push them down and keep them in place and some of those are external to the life on the reservation that they're living in and others are actually manufactured from within the community about expectations of who they should be as men and boys and the relationships to their parents or their caregivers and it can just feel very oppressive
1: yeah and it's interesting you know you mentioned these moments of levity and there really are moments of almost joyfulness Particularly in the book, I think in the film they are almost too fleeting to hold on to. In the book you get to live in them a little bit longer, but particularly Mm -hmm. in the scenes when David and Shane are alone together and they are separate from all these other forces, right? The problem is that that never lasts long enough and probably the most tender scene between the two of them is when they're um, collecting rice for David's Mm -hmm. grandmother and they have this sort of whole day together out in isolation where no one can see them and they can be with each other. Mm -hmm. And it's really lovely. Oh, it's sweet,
0: it's romantic, it's cute.
1: It's so tender. They're so tender with each other. David is starting to sort of realize why it is that it's important to Shane to leave the community. They're, Mm -hmm. They're coming to this understanding with each other, and then they are caught (laughs) on their way back into the community by Tara and she catches them kissing and from there everything unravels right Tara is sexually assaulted and then she dies by suicide and then the roof falls in in Shane's home and then he turns his back on David because he feels like He was wasting time with David when his sister died by suicide. And now he's wasting time with David when Tara does the same thing. And like, it's just, you just feel Mm -hmm. like, but we we just got this moment of tenderness. I want to hold on to it, please. And you're not allowed. And it's thematically totally appropriate that you're not allowed, but also makes it Mm. a very emotional watch.
0: Yeah, it actually even reminded me a little bit of the conversation that we had in the miseducation of Cameron Post, where Mm. there's this sexual encounter that is everything you would want it to be as a young queer person and then it's immediately followed by some kind of tragedy or disaster Mm -hmm. and as a result it becomes linked right the the queer lifestyle that you need to be true to yourself and the thing that you want most ends up becoming tinged by horrible events. And as a result, she thinks, oh, well, moments of happiness can only be followed by moments of tragedy. And as a result, I can't ever be true to myself. And that
2: mm-hmm. that's
0: really, for me as a queer person, when I watch these these films, when I read these books, I just think about how so many messages that we deliver to queer youth tell them, all you have to do is survive long enough to become an adult, and then your life will become easier. But then it's also, how do you survive to become an adult when every lived moment feels like everything could just unravel? Like, you're one nightmare away from being discovered, from having your whole life torn apart. It's just, I mean, it makes for great conflict, and it's also horribly troubling.
1: (laughs) Well, yes, and here's something... Okay, I'm not... I don't want to...
0: No, I know. You're You're like,
1: no, I just, also, I, let's talk about this other thing. Well, I don't want to take away from what you're describing, but I want, to, I want to grab onto that idea of survival, just having to survive.
0: Absolutely. Go for it.
1: Because I think there's something interesting happening in the film and book, and I'm not sure whether it's intentional or if it's an artifact of... Garnet Jones's perspective and his focus on the love story between David and Shane as central to what's happening in the narrative and the importance Mm -hmm. of resolving that relationship within the community which is critical to the film right
0: oh absolutely yeah yeah. but
1: there's this other thing happening which is young masculinity is really fraught and complex and and dark Mm -hmm. young femininity is literally unsurvivable in this film so Uh, yeah So so (laughs) we have both the loss of destiny and Tara, but also Ashley is a really tragic figure as well.
0: Yeah, we should probably introduce who Ashley is.
1: Oh yeah, okay, so Ashley is Tara's best friend. She's also Kyle's girlfriend, like nominally on paper, but Kyle is fully obsessed with Tara from the first frame of the film on, basically, and- mm-hmm.
0: And the book makes it clear that Tara is considered the most attractive girl on the reservation, so it, it makes sense because Kyle is also described as the most attractive boy. Yes. But um, as a result, yes, Kyle is clearly, he has a wandering eye, and he is not a good guy.
1: No, no. Um, He thinks that when Tara is betrayed by Shane, that she will naturally go to him. And she Mm -hmm. does go to him for comfort and for a drinking partner, but when he wants something more and she turns him down, he violently assaults her. Uh, That scene in the film is one of the hardest scenes I've ever watched in anything.
0: Yeah, it definitely felt softened in the book. And I can't help but wonder if the reactions to the film were strong.
1: Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting it. Because I even though I knew the book was an adaptation, I did read it first. And mm. it did not prepare me. Because part of what happens in the in the book is that it's necessarily focalized, right? And so the book happens from Shane's perspective. And so Tara's story, he sees her when they have the confrontation about David, and then he finds her body afterwards. Mm -hmm. You don't see any of the stuff that happens in between. He pieces that together over the narrative. In the film, you see the assault take place and it's extremely violent.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It's very raw. Like the flip side of having not particularly experienced actors (laughs) is that sometimes when they do a scene like that, it feels incredibly real.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: Brent Thomas Diabo in that role is frankly frightening <laughs> and he's
0: terrifying. Legitimately yeah. scary. Yeah.
1: He's legitimately scary. I also think it's worth noting that in the film casting, he is uh he is the character who is most white presenting of all of the yeah. characters.
0: I took note of that as well.
1: Yeah, to the point that I actually when I got to the Wondered. book, I was like, Yeah, I was wondering whether he but he's not. He's not. He's no. just white presenting. But it's an interesting Visual choice, given the way in the history of cinema, dark mm-hmm. skin has traditionally been a way of indicating threat, right? And here, it's actually uh, Kyle's white presentingness mm-hmm. that that marks him as threat. So, I think that's yeah. really interesting.
0: I think it's a very specific decision. Yeah, yeah. But sorry, I'm I'm bringing you back now. So you were you to were to my point about... about women. Yeah, there we go.
1: <laughs> and likewise, right. Jackie finds some resolution at the end, but she is deeply traumatized by what exactly it means to be a woman in this community. So Mm -hmm. I'm really kind of fascinated by, or I guess the question I have is, is this a comment that Adam Garnet Jones is making explicitly, or is this an artifact of the fact that what's central to this story is the unraveling of David and Shane's sort of cover as they come to be out with each other Mm -hmm. within the community and everything else is just collateral damage. And I don't know if I have an answer to that, but I found it really troubling to watch.
0: Yeah, I would almost say both because it's very much a story that is focalized through this love story. Like Mm -hmm. it's an illicit love story that cannot last and yet it must because that is the feel-good portion of this film. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, in order for this love story to happen, all of these terrible things seemingly must happen to other characters. Most of them are women. But I think when you read the book and when you watch the film, there's a pretty damning argument to be made about the gender roles. Mm. So I don't know if we're meant to apply this to Indigenous communities in general, or just to think of it specifically for this one, but it's very much like, who are you when you're meant to be a man? And -hmm. what is the roles that you're allowed to take? Like David is clearly being positioned as someone who could take on the spiritual leadership of the band. Mm -hmm. And Shane has been groomed because he is a smart young man. And therefore he can go off to university and then come back and solve all of the problems. Mm -hmm. We don't ever hear about the future opportunities for girls like Tara or Ashley, you know, like, there's some pretty horribly flippant commentary about like, well, Tara needs to go to Toronto to keep, you know, hussies from polluting Shane. But also, she would never be considered to go out by herself, right? Like, that's not the role a girl would do.
1: There's even a line that Ashley says to her in that conversation, where she says, oh, girls like you never leave. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh my god.
0: But what does that even mean?
1: And they're all girls like her, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah,
0: So I I do think you're right that part of the issue is that because it is so filtered through Shane's perspective in both texts, we're not often privy to the ideas or the opportunities afforded to women because Shane doesn't care or they don't affect him as clearly. Mm -hmm. In the book, we obviously do get alternating chapters in Tara's, I think it's meant to be diary.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: It's almost like stream of consciousness stuff followed by poems that she writes. And actually, that was one of the elements of the novelization that I really preferred because (gasps) the film doesn't give us much insight into how Tara is thinking or feeling, whereas the novelization was very informative in giving us that. But it also seems like there are no opportunities for her.
1: There's a few things that are clear in the book, and I'm actually really glad the novelization exists because I think it flushes out some things that the film doesn't have space to do so Mm -hmm. first off you find out that shane doesn't just want to like arbitrarily go to like university to take some random arts degree he specifically Mm -hmm. wants to learn about you know concepts to do with like municipal management civic engineering like how do you get clean water how do you run a proper sewer system like that's the kind of stuff he intends to learn and there really is a sense of like he goes away he gets that knowledge and he comes back and he fixes this community Mm -hmm. That's a ton of pressure on Shane in the book that I don't think is clear in the film version.
0: No, it seems like he just wants to run away in the film. Like, I can't be me here. So I need to go away so I can be
1: true. Exactly. Tara has pressures on her life that we never see in the film. Her dad is a creep in the film. Like he has a girlfriend who he just like, basically has sex with in front of his daughter and he has Mm -hmm. no boundaries and he's inappropriate but in the book he's sexually assaulting her yeah and she leans on Shane as a way out of that household as a way to stay safe right and Mm -hmm. so that is another pressure on Shane and his relationship with Tara and why he can't totally just discard her right like he's her safety net and that's why when she sees him with David, it's like, well, now what do I do? Like, this is yeah. everything I had as an escape plan, as a safety plan, everything, right? And so mm-hmm. that is much better in the book because we actually kind of understand Tara more. So I'm glad the book exists. I really am. I don't think it's like the best book ever written. Like, it's very much a novelization and it mm-hmm. it is written for a young audience. Uh, it's not a particularly complex narrative, but it does more with the characters and their backstories than the film is able to do, I think.
0: Yeah. The big takeaway that I ended up having from watching the film and then reading the book in a short period of time was I could almost see this being used in schools yeah. as a kind of like educational tool about some of the harsh contemporary realities of the Indigenous. I don't What do I say? Experienced life. Basically to teach white kids Mm
2: -hmm.
0: like I don't think that's what it was intended for I do think that it was like this is a passion project for Garnet Jones I think he's been wanting to tell these stories and feeling like a lot of this is authentic but it is very grim in that Mm -hmm. way but I feel like they almost work best as a complement to each other like I think you're missing some of the visual beauty that yeah. gets captured in the film. Like the book is very straightforward, but you're also missing some of that depth of character if you're only watching the film.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I also could see it as a teaching text. You know, it's also a really clear articulation of the damage colonialism has done, right? Yeah. The film and book both articulate a kind of oppressive. Christian way of being that has taken hold of like half the community Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and there's this scene where Jackie talks about when Shane was little and they went to James Bay and someone there told her about two-spiritedness and that Mm -hmm. Shane was two-spirited and that she hoped that he would get out of the community before he realized it. And it sort of hints gestures towards like a pre-contact view of sexuality that's a lot more open and embracing than the version that Evie brings, even though Evie is supposedly like this traditional character, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think there's actually a lot of nuance on complexity there. It's the kind of thing that actually kind of makes me worry about how any given high school classroom would handle it. But, um, right. but I, I do think there's the opportunity for some really interesting and thoughtful discussions about the pressures on these particular characters i read the globe and mail review of the book of the adaptation sort of specifically said that this is a story about choice and the limitation of choice and what happens when your choice is limited and i think Mm. that's an interesting way of looking at it of seeing it through the lens of kind of opportunity and and what happens when doors close all around you right like there's this bizarre plot at the end of the film to like burn down the drug dealer's house and steal her safe that like oh boy yeah can't possibly work
0: right no and That is almost like the most ridiculous part where you think, Oh, are we veering into conventional Hollywood territory where we're going to end this film with an armed robbery and like drugging this woman's coffee so that we can get into the safe and steal the money. And you just think this is what we have been driven to, right? Like, this is such a terrible choice that these two boys are making and In some ways, it feels a little disingenuous that their plan totally goes awry, but it ends up completely working out and everything ends up happy and fine at the end of this. Mm. And yet, I'm kind of okay with it because everything that precedes it is so dark and gloomy.
1: Yeah, it almost feels like you you need to have earned that. And Mm -hmm. there is one moment I love. There's a tenderness between Evie and the boys at the end where she... I mean she's really accepting David and she's accepting Shane Mm -hmm. as David's partner in in that final scene and it's really quite soft and tender and you really want that for Evie because she's so good in every other capacity right like she she's the only person who is still coming around to check on Jackie like she's so good and you just want her to see David's goodness regardless of her stereotypes Mm -hmm. and when that happens that payoff is really worthwhile I think yeah it's one of my favorite moments i think from the whole film
0: yeah yeah it's nice okay so bretta this is a bit unconventional but shall we try a ya bingo
1: it feels weird but yes let's try bingo not a good bingo okay so i have obviously filmed in the territory now known as canada you betcha i'm gonna give it a borrowed time because there's two ticking time bombs There's going to university or at least getting the money in to have the option to go to university. That ticks Mm -hmm. more loudly in the book, I think, than in the film. And then the other ticking clock that you hear constantly is the relationship, the way it's going on with David and Shane can't go on the way it is, right? Like they either have to come out or break up. That's what has to happen.
0: Right. I would actually say there's a third one, which is the destruction of the roof.
1: Oh, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah.
0: And this idea that Shane has a certain amount of time in which to pay off the local store owner, Janice, or Mm -hmm. else uh, they will lose the supplies to repair the house. That's right.
1: Um, Abuse, obviously. Mm -hmm. It feels awful to say this joke. Dead body.
0: Yeah. You know, we put that square in, in part because so often a body is driving the story. Mm -hmm. And in this case, I would really say that the book and the film are centered around the two bodies of of dead indigenous girls.
1: Yeah, I think you're totally right.
0: Are you going to give me queer secondary character?
1: Oh, yeah, okay. You can have (laughs) queer secondary character. I think we could also include uh, hollow romances. Not actually for Shane and Tara, because I think there's a tenderness and a friendship there that is Mm -hmm. wrapped up in his conflict about sexuality, but I'm particularly thinking about Kyle and Ashley.
0: Yes, I was thinking the same thing.
1: Yeah. I think that's what I can, <laughs> is Jennifer Podemski only stunt casting for Canadian nerds?
0: Absolutely.
1: Nice
0: try. <laughs> I am going to uh, say perfect date for the day when they spend uh, uh, picking rice.
1: Yes, that's a lovely, lovely day. Um, yeah, I think that's what I got.
0: Yeah, I think so too.
1: Yeah. Okay, well, it's honestly, okay. actually, that's more squares than I thought we would tick off.
0: Admittedly, yeah. It's not too bad. I mean, there's a certain amount of tropes here, but I would say that the focus on Indigenous storytelling and Indigenous lives is superseding some of the more familiar kind of trope elements of both the book and the film.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. All right. Okay, so um, we are sort of transitioning out of our queer stories- and actually National Indigenous Persons Month uh, with this text. And we are transitioning into our next book club next week, which is Cherie Demoline's The Marrow Thieves. If you're reading along, please let us know. It's a great mm-hmm. read. It's a dystopian, creepy, eerie, fascinating, sometimes surprisingly funny read. And I really recommend you check it out and read along with us. And then our next full-length episode is, uh, it's gonna be Blinded by the Light, but Joe, I forget the book's title, because it's not that. Greetings from Beery Park.
0: You are correct, Yeah. Yeah,
1: I got it. That was a listener request, I believe.
0: This is an interesting one, because if I'm not mistaken, the book is a work of nonfiction, Mm. and then the film is, of course, an adaptation of that, but it feels like a more kind of conventional YA film.
1: I think it's gonna be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So if you want to get in touch with us about the book club or anything else, you can find us at HKHS Pod on the Twitters or hashtag HKHSpod. Joe, where do they find you?
0: I am at Beast on my remote, and that's the letter B.
1: And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's gray with an A. And if you have anything longer for us, particularly those book club reflections, you know we want them, email us HKHSpod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that's that. That's that. This has been a good Pride Month, Joe. You programmed this month very well.
0: Yeah, it's uh, not been as much happy pride as maybe I would have liked. And yet I think we've had a good smattering of different types of queer texts.
1: Yeah, I think we've we've gotten to see a lot of different communities and what queer coming of age looks like within them. Mm-hmm. And there have certainly been moments of joy. I would watch all Absolutely. of Love, Victor over again any day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, now all we need is season three.
1: Yeah. All right, folks. So until next time, I will see you on the page.
0: And I will see you on the screen.
1: Bye bye.